Okay, my people out there in podcast land, this is the podcast Uncomfortable, and I am your host, Greg Newbill, and we are here. Our motto is, we're not here to change your mind, only to open it. So today, we have a special guest all the way from Kalamazoo, Michigan, Miss Layla Jabori. Everybody give her a round of applause. <laughs> okay, Layla, so... Uh, let me give you a little uh, background about how I met Layla. Um, guys, um, maybe over 10 years ago, uh, my wife's sister, who passed away, uh, she lived in Michigan, so we went up there for the funeral. And I had the pleasure, we stayed at Layla's house and had the pleasure of meeting her. And so for the past 10 plus years, we've been going back and forth to Michigan to visit, and we always stayed at her house. So uh, Layla's background is in... Uh, hospice uh care and several other things so i'll let you take the mic layla and introduce yourself all right well i am a master's level psychologist and i worked i just retired worked full-time for a hospice organization in kalamazoo as a grief counselor and i did that for 28 years Ooh. and I also work part-time in private practice, which I will continue even though I've retired from my hospice job. So since um, retirement, um, has it been hard, you know, with retirement? Has it been hard or getting used to, you know, not, but, but you basically still do the same thing almost every day, correct? Since retirement or has it been more relaxing for you? Well, I only retired in April, so I don't feel retired quite yet because I've had a lot of things that I've had to uh, work towards and things I have had to do in the last few months since retirement. So I'm not quite sure when I'm going to feel retired. Oh, okay. So grief counseling. Yes. Explain to the people, we know what grief, you know, dealing with grief is, but um, try to explain uh, what you do on a daily basis with that. Okay, well, when I was currently working at hospice, that was my full-time work. So every day I would uh, contact newly bereaved individuals, someone whose loved one died in our hospice, and we would offer them grief uh, support follow-up for a year after the death. And I would either meet with them in their home or in the office. Generally, I would meet with folks maybe about uh, eight to 10 visits throughout the year. Oh, wow. So we would follow them for a year. So carry them through all the big mile markers, the big firsts that yeah. they have to experience without their loved one. Oh, okay. So dealing with grief, and of course, you know, I was at your house when my oldest sister, when Nita had passed. And she passed away from colon cancer. And I got that call that night. We had just left Maryland and got there to your house that next day. And I think it was a Thursday that she had passed. I got the phone call about six. And <clears throat> you gave me a book on dealing with, you know, grief and stuff like that. And for as long as you've been doing this, who would you say deals with, um, has a harder time grieving, male or, or female? And, you know, from what you see. Yeah. I don't know that it's gender specific because 
different people have learned about how to deal with difficult emotions okay. from their childhood. So whether they observed it or were taught it, so sometimes the feeling of grief is one of those things that people think that they just need to uh, just stuff it down mm -hmm. and just kind of carry on and power power through. Well, that's what I did. You know, I I still basically with the loss of my mom, my sister, and now my oldest brother. I still don't think I have totally just let go. You know, I've, I've had those moments that I, I can be driving or something like that. And I start crying because I know, I, I know they're not there or not here anymore. So, um, what do you, what is the thing for that, for people who just stuff it down and don't really deal with it at that moment? Well, I, I think you kind of began describing how grief actually works and I like to describe it like it comes like waves on the water. You know, uh -huh. sometimes people think there's going to be some big cry all, some big, huge emotion. Mm -hmm. But really, it's, you know, this sometimes the waves are big. Sometimes it feels like a tsunami. Sometimes it's a moderate wave. Sometimes the water is fairly smooth, but out of the blue mm -hmm. comes a big emotion or a small one. You may be driving along and your mind just wanders into certain places of memory. Maybe it's a certain time of year that you have certain connections with that loved one. Right. And so you're going to revisit, um, you know, their absence from your life in different ways at different times with different intensity. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a lot to deal with and I'm quite sure. How many years did you do it? Were you doing at hospice? I was doing uh, 28 years. I did it. Gosh. So, how do you think that maybe affected you anyway? Did it have any bearing on your life dealing with grief on a level like that so for so long? You know, how were you able to, your frame of mind is like, you know, you're dealing with grief and, you know, from death and stuff like that. Did it mold or shape you or what's the word I'm looking for? And, um, like, are you asking me how did it impact me? Yes, impact you as far as, you know, your daily living. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I had to learn early on was how to take care of myself. Okay. Because to think that I am going to witness or come alongside people who are grieving and have it not impact me mm -hmm. would be um, uh, a false assumption on my part. So I had to find ways to unplug if you will okay so a lot of times on the weekends i would make sure to do things that were self-care okay right so um God, it was another question i wanted to ask you about this um i just had a total brain fart um and you said you had a master's in what was that i'm sorry counseling psychology wow mm -hmm. so oh i know what i wanted to ask you i'm sorry was there any people who rejected your services, your, your services. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I would say the way I generally saw things, maybe about 30% of people accepted the grief counseling mm -hmm. and maybe another 
35% accepted it initially mm -hmm. and somewhere a few months down the road or maybe even just one visit, they were, they were like, okay, I think I'm good. I'm I don't good. need you to come back. And then the rest for whatever reason, whether uh, they didn't have a good relationship with that person and mm -hmm. really didn't feel the need to talk to somebody or, oh. or maybe they felt that was way, way beyond their ability to sit and talk to somebody about lots of different reasons. Oh, wow. That they might not accept grief counseling. So what is the process? So once you find out somebody from hospice, you know, uh, their family that, like I said, somebody has passed away. Mm -hmm. Do y'all initialize the contact with that family? Absolutely. Or? Okay. Yeah. It, so <clears throat> the, the way we worked it in our hospice is three weeks after the death, we would get a list of all the names of the bereaved that we were supposed to call. Okay. So typically it was one person per family, whoever the identified primary caregiver was. So we would call, then we uh, were assigned the cases based on geographic location. Oh. So I covered certain areas, right, right. Kelsey area. Then um, I would place the phone call and introduce myself and ask them, would they like to schedule a time for a grief, appointment, grief counseling appointment? And do they want me to come to their home or did they want to meet me in the office? Okay. And so that's how we would go. And then generally I would I like to see people one month after the death, two months, four, six, eight, mm -hmm. ten, and just after the one year anniversary of the death. So would you prefer them come to your office or did you feel more comfortable going to their houses and I meet really, with them? I really like going to their homes. Oh, okay. I like that a lot. Just because, you know, if they wanted to show me photos of their loved one or collections that they had or interests, or it would give me good information. How are they keeping up their house? Okay. You know, generally I thought it was a, a better appointment. Plus, if this was a person who leaned towards crying as a way of expressing their grief, then if they're in the office, they have to kind of pull themselves together, together right. so that they can get behind the wheel and drive away. If it's in their home, then I'm the one who leaves and then they could still process, process that their emotions. emotions. Man, that is powerful. So dealing with psychology, right? Mm -hmm. And the big thing today is mental health. How do you think that's going? Is is progressively getting worse in America from what you've seen in your region, or in, as a whole from you know what we see on social media and any type of media on TV, magazines, or anything? What do you think this? How is it? Well, COVID definitely has had an impact. Yes, because of the early on pandemic when you couldn't be with your loved one if they were in a nursing care facility or if they were in the hospital. So that idea of and families were apart from each other, couldn't visit each other. Right. So that has an impact. Um, the other thing is the kind of support people used to get from their families. Mm -hmm. uh, families are living further and further apart. apart. And even though we have all this technology and way to, ways to stay connected with each other, it's not necessarily a intimacy connection. Okay. It's, so it's, it, the relationships have gotten more superficial. Right. Because, well, we see that now because like, for instance, family reunions, everybody used to get together, you know, it come from near and far, you know, we get together. 
and that's not really happening anymore. I mean, it's just like right now we live in a neighborhood, our neighborhoods, we barely know our neighbors, right. you know, and it used to be, you know, what, what was the term? It takes a village. Right. Now it's just like, take care of your home. And, you know, now you got to worry about your neighbor because you don't know what's, what's their state of mind. And that's kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? That's kind of, um, I want to say not wrong, but I guess it's just the way things have progressed. Right. I mean, even simple things like families that would sit around a dinner table yes. and have family dinner and they would talk. How right. was your day? Right. And if they had any issues going on. And so, you know, more and more households are not even having dining rooms. And so... You know, there's no sitting around a table looking at each other because there's something powerful about eye to eye contact. contact. And that that's one of my concerns about young people growing up, uh, just solely communicating through texting or in, just through technology. Because I remember years ago, I read this research mm -hmm. uh, or I heard a speaker uh, talk about um, the right frontal occipital lobe which is a part of our brain uh -huh. that's responsible for the joy center. And it's only stimulated through eye contact. And so they did some studies uh, with children growing up in orphanages or children who grew up with parents who did not do the eye, uh, eye contact. Mm -hmm. You know, children who had parents that played with them did peekaboo. Peekaboo right. is a very therapeutic thing to stimulate the joy center. And so how our children, you know, because even if you did a virtual call, that's not eye, eye contact. contact. That is that is true. And, you know, bringing back to what you said uh, around how families used to sit around the dinner table and you can talk. Now it's just like you said, there's no more dining rooms, you know, so um, there's no sitting around and talking. Going back to my childhood, thinking about that, we did we used to sit around the dinner table all the time, mm -hmm. you know, gosh, wow. I think times have changed. So yeah. um, what is the, it was more, I really wanted to ask you about, you know, dealing with, dealing with the, and you live in Michigan and when it's winter time and dealing with grief. So I assume it's more Zoom calls than anything. Well, you can probably get around cause they take care of the roads, but going back to COVID, I think when I had it, it definitely messed with me, excuse me, psychologically. Mm -hmm. So did you find that more in some of your patients that you talk to? I, I don't, I, it's hard for me to describe how it really messed with me psychologically, but I, I think I have a good sense of knowing that it did because my thoughts were so confused. So I don't know if you can touch on that, if you had any, you know, dealing with that from people with COVID. Well, one of the things that I know, I mean, because of the isolation and yeah. especially people who lean more towards being extroverts and they need the support of other people. people right. Um, Me. <laughs> there was the struggle. Now, people who lean towards introversion, you know, they were okay with the, the not connecting socially with folks. And a matter of fact, they were okay with the with phone calls versus virtual calls. Uh -huh. Initially, that's what we had to offer people were just phone calls because, you know, and it wasn't until later that our agency uh, told us we can 
we can do these virtual calls. But uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, the fact that people were not connecting socially mm -hmm. uh, as much because of COVID, that that affected the whole isolation piece and not being able to get the kind of support, you know, back in the, you know, when normally your loved one dies, people stop over and visit, yes. take you out to lunch, yes. dinner, bring, you know, bring food over, right. you know, the memorial, the funeral, all that stuff was absolutely, you know, uh, put on hold. Yes. So now people are having their memorials six months, a year yeah, later. later. Yeah. Cause that's what we're doing with my oldest brother. So, with the grief thing now, um, well, oh, hospice, with the hospice aspect of it. Now, when my sister was dying of colon cancer, you know, they stopped the treatments and everything of the chemo and they sent her home, to, you know, a hospice care. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you um, elaborate or speak on some of the things that the family members who had to take care of that person, the hardship of that, or, you know, dealing with that, knowing the alter, the end factor is going to be death mm -hmm. for that person dealing with that sick person. And it takes a strong person to do that. Uh, can you, uh, you know, speak on, on that, about that? So, so I think you bring up an interesting point, you know, because there's always this conversation in grief groups where people talk about, is it better, uh, is it easier to grieve after someone dies suddenly mm -hmm. or this kind of caregiving experience in the home? Right. And, you know, they both have their own trajectory of how we grieve. The thing about uh, the grief journey after you've cared for your loved one in the home is that the more of your senses that are involved mm -hmm. in caring for a person, you're going to to re-experience things. So whether it's seeing them become more and more uh, fragile. Incapacitated. More right. and more incapacitated, less and less able. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe some of the sores that they might have right. or some of the events that take place in the aspect of caregiving might be somewhat uh, disturbing to some people. Right. You know, someone who's in the medical world, they just look at that as daily operations. Exactly. Right. Whereas a family member that might be witnessing their loved one having pain and thinking that they're suffering, uh, that's one of the big things that I've had to deal with is if there's a perception that my loved one suffered and I didn't do anything to alleviate that suffering. Mm -hmm. Then it kind of throws them into this, what I call the guilt and shame cycle. People will often say, I feel guilty that, you know, and th that's a common emotion that I uh, deal with with people, even in my private practice, that I deal with people that are grieving, um, that feeling of guilt. And I try to explain to people, there's two kinds of guilt. There's real guilt mm -hmm. and there's false guilt. Real guilt is, doing something, not doing something, saying something, not saying something uh, intentionally to hurt right. that person. person. I'm doing it willingly and consciously. Whereas false guilt is the shoulda, woulda, coulda, coulda. if onlys. And those, the false guilt is often based on unrealistic expectations. I mean, an example would be, I was sitting by my loved one's bedside and I fell asleep. No. And they took their last breath. breath. 
And so they're like, oh, in their last breath, I couldn't even stay away. Kind of reminds me of, you know, Jesus and the disciples. Right, you know, right. Wanted them to be awake with him while he prayed. Right. But, uh, you know, so, so we talk about guilt. So the feeling of guilt is believing I've done something wrong and undealt with, unchecked, moves into shame, which then says I am something wrong. What kind of a wife, what kind of a husband, what kind of a son or daughter, what kind of a human would, and then you just fill in the blank with whatever. And it affects your mental state. It affects your mental state. And that's why I always appreciated my work at hospice because most people that we offered grief counseling to um, wouldn't think of going to a therapist's office. Mm. And so the idea that they would go through life because if, you, if I were to say to you, you are such a devoted son, mm-hmm. but whatever your false guilt thing is, but you might say internally, but if you only knew, I should have gone up more often. I should have stopped and seen my my mother or my sister or whoever. Mm-hmm. You know, then you start doing, when you start doing all the shooting all over yourself, mm-hmm. that's when you start saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need to look at, you know, what stopped me. From, from doing from right. not being able to get there as frequently as I wanted to. And because I see now that it's a lot with the recent, you know, shootings or whatever, you know, the, the talk is about mental health and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How hard is it for people? Is it that it's hard for people to ask for help? It, yes. it, it, it is hard for people to ask for help, you know, dealing with grief, like what you deal with, but then turning around, like you said, when the shoulda, woulda, coulda, starts hitting them and that, you know, it's my fault. Should people seek help <clears throat> or, <clears throat> excuse me, those getting dry, should the majority of the people seek help or, or, or not? I think people would benefit if, if you find that you are getting stuck in certain areas of your life. Uh, that's why it takes a certain amount of being still. Some people, mm-hmm. a real common thing to do after a death is people think I just got to keep myself busy and not feel my feelings. Mm-hmm. And the reality is I, the gift I give myself when I'm grieving is I let myself step into my pain when it presents itself. So if I'm starting to get sad and to cry and I'm like, oh, no, I need to just get outside and mow the lawn. Right. You, go, you, you, you know, so right. I might need to sit there just about five minutes and just go with that emotion and just experience it. Now, not everybody cries. Not right. everybody experiences uh, or expresses grief by crying. And so some people say, well, I'm not crying. I must not be grieving. There's a lot of symptoms of grief. If you were to Google symptoms of grief, you'll see there's so many poor focus, poor concentration, um, restlessness, Mm -hmm. irritability. I mean, there's all kinds of symptoms. Tears is one of the symptoms, but not everybody can produce them tears. Produces tears. Right. I I was telling my, um, I was telling uh, my son um, that it's okay to cry, you know, to get those emotions. I mean, I had plenty of nights that I got up at three o'clock in the morning. You know, this may not be a mental health thing, but maybe it is. Mm-hmm. Gotten up at three o'clock in the morning, start my route. By the time I'm done working in say like Daytona delivering, I don't get back to the warehouse till 7.30 that evening. 
And by the time I get checked in, it's eight thirty. It's eight o'clock. By the time I get home, it's maybe eight thirty, quarter to nine. Get my shower, standing there, and sometimes I just cry. But after I had that good cry, I said, "You know what, God, thank you for the ability to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and carry on. Know that I got a good wife, a good a good home, and you know, to keep myself going. You know, at least." Like I said, just have that good cry. And I think more people need to do that. And like you said, people, I've seen professional athletes now reach out more with their mental health state, you know, about dealing with mental health and stuff like that. And in today's society, it is so important that we reach out to people like you and others. But I think there needs to be more I think there needs to be more of an outlet on the local levels because people see it on TV, but maybe they don't know where the nearest counselor is or anything like that. Right. So, um, I mean, do you guys do any type of advertising? Well, I'm, I don't know if that's the right term, but advertising for, you know, for, you know, for mental health talk or anything like that for grief counseling, besides just reaching out through, you know, the listings of somebody that may have uh, lost someone. Well, you know, of course, on TV, diff- there's different mental health organizations in various community- communities. Some communities, I think, are more forward about, you know, offering services. You know, Kalamazoo has got a lot of different uh, organizations that are available. We have a system called 211. Mm-hmm. And if you're reaching out for some kind of help for something, you can call the 211 number and they have a hotline. Uh, that you can either ask for and get the kind of support, especially if you're suicidal. There's a, 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 a Griffin line, and that has its own number. So they have a lot of ways to provide support. But, you know, I think you also brought up an important point, Greg, um, is that uh, we grew up in a culture where it values a certain level of stoicism when it comes to emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at some other cultures, I grew up in a Middle Eastern culture. Right. And in that culture, you know, it, at a funeral, people are just going to wail. They're going to wail. They're going to cry. It's acceptable. And there are other cultures that it's okay. And you could mm-hmm. see, you could see certain cultures hold value and just, you know, just kind of be tough and right. strong. Right. And, being tough and strong is not about if you're not it doesn't mean you're you know weak, weak right right it, it just it's it's kind of like if you all of a sudden had a pain in your chest and it radiated up your neck or down your arm you would know that wait a minute i may be having a heart attack i think i need to call 911 right and so uh or if i have neuropathy in my feet uh and I know I need to take care of my feet and mm-hmm. have a podiatrist cut my toenails. And so, you know, for our, our body, we know that there are certain things that we have to do to take care of so we don't get ourselves in trouble. Right. But when it comes to our emotions, somehow that ends up being on a different level, different, level. different playing field. Right. It's, it's, it's amazing. So we got... Uh, each segment is 30 minutes. Now we got two more minutes. Would you like to stick around and maybe do like 15 minutes more? 
to take a break and do 15 minutes more? It's up to you. I would love to. Okay. So we're going to take a break and we're going to stop this recording and we will be back in a moment. All right, we are back. Okay, audience, settle down, settle down. We are back with the second segment with Miss Layla Jabori, and we're talking about grief counseling, counseling and hospice uh, care and mental health. So um, <clears throat> the first half was um, the first 30 minutes, we spent a lot about the you know, grief counseling, mental health, and going back to grief counseling. So people who may have died, uh, had a loved one die by suicide, um, as far as speaking with them or getting in touch with them, is that on a different level? You know, with somebody, you know, we know somebody's going to die, you know, dealing in hospice care, but what if somebody, a loved one commits suicide? How is that? So if someone's loved one died by suicide, there often is this factor that we call the preventability factor. Mm -hmm. And that still falls under that that guilt and shame that okay. I talked about earlier. Right. So it's a natural thing for people to think, why didn't I catch certain things? Why didn't I notice that they were spiraling downwards? Is there something I could have done to prevent them from uh, terminating their life? And so that can be very difficult for a grieving person and you know, so we, we still have to deal with the guilt shame mm -hmm. issue because what kind of a wife or mother or father wouldn't know that their child or their loved one was hurting so bad okay. in order to stop them from doing, doing that. that. Right. So, and then depending on the nature of the suicide, did they find them? There's a lot of factors. Uh, did they find them? Uh, did, how were they told? what's their own personal mental health and mm -hmm. how they deal with difficult things. There's a lot of factors that affect how a person grieves. Then you also have the issue of uh, death by suicide is often and still stigmatized. And so the fear of saying that my loved one died right. by suicide, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't want people to either judge me or right. judge the, the, their loved like, one. Right, exactly. So that, that uh, I don't think I, in my lifetime, I have known anybody, you know, who has taken their life by suicide. But <clears throat> so is it grieving longer for that person who may have found them or was, ex, you know, or extremely, <clears throat> extremely close to that person? You know, what is what is their level of grief? Do you find it to be higher? Um, again, you know, it's hard to determine that. Everybody grieves differently. Mm -hmm. And some people have lots of really good coping skills, have a great support system, maybe a faith that they can rely on. Mm -hmm. No, you know, if they're a really codependent person, they may take on, you know, a responsibility for their loved one's death. And so they're, it, it's hard to say. And then when you say, uh, do they grieve longer? 
there is this implied idea that people often have that there's a length of time we grieve. Right, and okay. I don't believe that, you know, when the media uses words like closure and getting over, I don't believe you ever get over a death. Right, right. What I see is that the intrusive thoughts and feelings that you experience initially after a death begins to get softer. And probably one of the metaphors that I will often use, I will compare the grief journey to uh, being put under anesthesia. Uh, and so at the time of death, there's a numbness that mm. comes over you. And just like anesthesia, the numbness, you slowly come out from under the anesthetic. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to feel pain, pain further down the road than you do initially after a death. Mm -hmm. So that's why some people get confused. Why am I feeling worse at four, five, six months after the death than I did initially, initially. after the death? And so that idea of it is a healthy thing because an anesthesiologist does not want to come to your uh, post-anesthesia recovery room and you're still completely under anesthetic. Right. Because that's not normal. Right. So they want to see you coming out from under it. Well, you know, at six months, four, five, six months, as a grief counselor, you know, I would expect that you're going to tell me I'm having more intrusive thoughts and feelings now mm -hmm. than I did initially, initially after their death. So putting that in the context of death after a suicide, sometimes people stay in that in the numb shocky place a lot longer. And mm -hmm. even with somebody, let's say they got diagnosed with some kind of stage four cancer, mm -hmm. one week later they were hospice appropriate and maybe a week or two weeks later they died. And you know that would be uh, considered a sudden and unexpected death. death. And so sometimes their grief journey, uh, you know, they'll be into that uh, numb shocky place for a more prolonged period of time. So, and again, everybody's different. Mm, right. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a masculine and feminine grievers, or another way to say it is intuitive versus um, instrumental grievers. And that's the work of, uh, of Ken Doka and Terry Martin. Mm. And they have done some really good work to say, you could be an intuitive griever and you know, be external, you know, you externalize your grief through tears and uh, big emotion, and you could be a male or female and be that, or you could be an instrumental griever that you're a little bit more, appears to be stoic, you know, not weeping. If you do have tears, it's typically by yourself. So, you know, when we introduce the style of grieving, grieving that's right. a whole nother conversation. Wow. It's, it's definitely a lot to 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 think about because I was thinking about you know my part of seeing my sister when I when my father told me you know that my sister had colon cancer well let, let me let me rewind the tape a little bit um me and my wife you know Tamara my sister kept saying she wants to see her new sister-in-law because me and Tamara just got married I'm like okay we're gonna get there we're gonna get there so we got there and I seen my sister. I haven't seen her, God, in years. And I noticed her skin complexion was dark. You know, I'm dark skinned. We were all dark skinned. But hers was, like, you know, extremely dark. But, you know, I'm just like, oh, okay. Then the next time we had came there, my father told me that she had cancer. And I think it had hit her liver. She had, you know, she had a uh, colon cancer. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> and when I got there, my aunt was over there and everybody was, she was under hospice care because chemo wasn't working. And they said, be prepared when you go upstairs to see her because she's not going to look like your sister. And when I got up there and I seen her and she knew it was me, I broke down and came downstairs. They had to carry me downstairs because it was so painful for me to see my strong older sister like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and we had just reconnected because for years, me and my sister did not talk because I was, I was that guy that, you know, they thought I was mean or whatever, but I wasn't, I was just protective of my parents or whatever. You know, I just thought we all could have done better or something like that. And plus I was away in the Navy and stuff like that. So, but then once we connected, you know, I'm like, I missed all these years. Now I get to catch up. Right. Then I didn't because, you know, she had her daughter who looked just to spit an image of her. I'm trying not to cry people. <laughs> and you know, and I went up there on my own one time while she was still battling, but we rode around me, my dad and her got fish and all this other stuff together. But the next thing I know, like I said, over your place, she was gone. And for me, dealing with that type of, um, like you said, why didn't I, what, what kept me from, connecting with my family and then, you know, all of a sudden they're gone and then the grief comes in. I'm still not really had that moment to grieve for my mom because the suffering for what I was trying to say was the caregiver and um, God, I got all lost. Um, I'm sorry. Um, that happens it, when you stir up emotion. Yeah. When you stir up emotion, yeah. it's just like, when you're that caregiver mm-hmm. and you think, you know, that person is gone and your family member is gone. I don't even know where I'm going later. I just got lost because now I'm just thinking of her mm-hmm. and my mom and everything else. And I'm trying to get it to the point where you can give me advice, but. <clears throat> so this, this comes in where I hear you going is that what stopped me from, you know, that yeah. shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah, yeah. So why, why did I hold on? What did I hold on to? So that's the thing. When I look at yesterday, based on the knowledge I have today, mm-hmm. sometimes we overlook the details of life. You know, you're in yeah. the military, uh, you know, it takes two people to have a relationship, Yeah. you know, but we look at the history and we, we overlook certain things and that's when it, you know, I take, I feel like I'm culpable that it was my responsibility mm-hmm. to, you know, just pick up and always go visit her. What would stop her, her when right. she was still healthy to say, Hey, great. How about if we come visit you? Right. You know, so, but that, that all gets pushed aside and we look at the whole thing of my failing. Right. And so we have to be gentle when we look back at the past and realize, okay, what were the things that stopped me from being able to see her more frequently? Why didn't we reconcile sooner in our life? And to me, it's like, okay, if I need to take some ownership for some failing on my part, let me learn from it because it doesn't do good 
to beat myself up. Oh, right. You know, so let me use it as a teacher. Let me let me learn. Let me be a student of this mm-hmm. and develop a new way to live my life that I'm going to keep short accounts with people. I'm not going to hold grudges for years. Right. Distance myself. That's what I did. I held grudges for mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't productive on any, you know, on either side. So, um, I, like I said, it's just the fact that people like you are, you know, people, you know, they, people use the word, the term hero in the wrong content and stuff like that. But people like what you do on a daily basis, you know, taking your time to help others grieve and to talk. And that's the main thing is communication. I guess. And it seems like we have all the tools communicate now with social media and all of this, but we're failing, we're failing as a society to connect with each other. Exactly. And that I was just ready to share in uh, the book of Hebrews, it mm-hmm. says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of somebody encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. And so it's just like, to me, that's an important verse where it reminds us, let me consider how can I be an encouragement to you? Right. And you know what, like today you were an encouragement to your son. You put a whole bunch of stuff together to mm-hmm. go take to him, to help him out. Right. And so these are these things that, they don't have to be huge things that we do. Sometimes it's a, a card. Sometimes it's a call. Sometimes right. it's, you know, just a visit over the fence with your neighbor. Right. Right. Gosh. And like I said, to, and, and in today's world, it just seemed like we, you know, we're recently seeing it with, you know, what's going on in today's society. It's like you don't really know who to trust or you, you're scared to go out because you're, you're not with recent gun violence and stuff like that. And, and we're not all going to see eye to eye on certain things. But as far as, like I said, the, the ability to communicate with each other is meeting each other more than halfway. Right. So I don't know, but this is one conversation I definitely wanted to get in with you. And I'm, like I said, we've been trying to get Layla, my wife and I have been trying to get Layla here in Florida for so long. She is a, She's a truly a, a gift from God. So we appreciate, we definitely appreciate her being here. We definitely appreciate her, her kind words and stuff like that. So Layla, if there's anything that you want to say in these last minutes or give out information to our listeners on maybe how to contact a grief counselor or just somebody to, to talk to if they have issues. So the floor is yours. I guess my biggest thing, if it's a grief issue, contact your local hospice to find out if they have any recommendations on who you can go talk to. Oh, okay. Okay. So, uh, like I said, we're going to end it on that note. So, um, like I said, um, if you got any information, I will leave it. If I have any further information, I'm sorry, I will leave it in the details of the, uh, of this podcast, uh, you know, uh, some maybe local area hospitals or hospice uh, care. And if you're any region across the country or who's listening to this, like I said, just reach out and uh, hopefully we can point you in the right direction. So this is Greg signing off with Layla. Layla. We are um, 
glad we had this conversation. So people, once again, take care of yourselves and others and be kind to each other. Thank you.